0: Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Thanks for checking out this feed of my favorite interviews and best guests over the last seven years. Whether it's your first time or you're already in a deep dive, make sure you head to billsimmonsinterviews.theringer.com for the entire archive. You can sort by genre, year, and more to easily navigate all your favorite people. Again, that is billsimmonsinterviews.theringer.com. Enjoy. I was saying my daughter's. I was telling my daughter's school has a seven-foot center, and they're not even one of the best teams. And this guy's like athletic.
1: Yeah, I had no context. I, I mean, I was basically just trying to emulate my brother. My brother was my idol still, yeah. growing up, and he played at public school. He played at um, Palisades High. Yeah, and he was just really good, and he ran pickup games every weekend and all that. And I just I wanted my brother's approval so bad, but I went to Harvard-Westlake, which is sort of a yeah. fancy prep school in the valley. Uh, but yeah, we had these identical twins, Jason and Jaron Collins. Were they both there, or was there just one of them? No, they were both there. Oh Jesus! Yeah, yeah, they were both there, and we were ranked like twentieth in the nation or something like that. You know, all on their backs, but it yeah. was, it was fun and crazy. I mean, it was.
0: So you special. were just the wet guy who came in when one of them was in foul trouble, or yeah, did you play more than that? I
1: played a little bit. I w I wasn't that good at the actual game, but I was good at the <laughs> performative aspects. Like yeah. I, I, I could jump really high. So I used to win dunk contests. Oh yeah. Yeah. They called me Dr. Dunk in high school. That was the the newspaper called me that and then it stuck. Really? Yeah. I couldn't do much
0: else. Like I wasn't a good shooter or anything, but I could just I could jump pretty high. Uh were but- you into the whole thing? Like acting thing at that point, too, and doing both paths, or you didn't know yet? So, I was like kind of a secret actor. Yeah. Um,
1: I was a shy kid, and I was also kind of a weird kid to be just straightforward about it. And you were probably like six, five in the ninth grade. I was grade, six, one of those four kids. since I was 12. Yeah. Um and so I always felt a little bit like I had been invited by mistake kind of feeling a pretty typical feeling yeah. probably at that age but my parents enrolled me in an acting class when I was really young um Santa Monica Playhouse and it was this after school program that was not for kids who wanted to be actors it was for like kids who needed friends yeah. you know like the smelly kid and the tall <laughs> kid and the awkward kid right. we were all in this room together um but I really liked it I, I really liked it and I had a sense that I was good at it too yeah um but then i think in high school two two movies came out what's eating gilbert grape yeah with that crazy dicaprio performance oh yeah and uh primal fear with that crazy edward norton performance i just remember feeling really inspired super super inspired thinking i really want to do that um we had a fancy school, like I said, and we had this theater coach called uh, Ted Walsh, who's still there. Theater coach? Uh, yeah, like theater director. We yeah, had the theater yeah. department, and we would put on these sh- they would put on these shows that were really, really high class. Like he used to be Paul Newman's theater director back in the day. He was yeah. really good. This school, like, has the best of everything. There's an electron microscope in the science department. Like right. whatever you want to do, they have the resources for you. But I was like a, you know, I was a basketball guy. So I'd sneak in there and I would take plays off of the bookshelf and I would read them and practice them alone in my house like like shame acting uh, <laughs> in front of the mirror. And then uh, one day I took this play off the shelf by Edward Albee called The Zoo Story. Yeah. And it's, it's a short play, but at one point there's like a 25-minute monologue from this one guy uninterrupted. And I really thought, okay, it would be really cool to see if I can even memorize this. It started with just could I memorize it. And, and I went and talked to Ted and he said, yeah, if you want to put this on, we can put it on in the small theater for just a little group. I'll direct it. So we rehearsed, I rehearsed sort of in secret from the basketball team because I was, I was shy, um, for a few months and we did this performance and without telling me, he invited the head of casting at Paramount Pictures to come watch the show. Really? Really? Yeah. I mean, this is real.
0: So you got freaked out if you knew. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And also sometimes, you know, I I like talk to kids and stuff because I write these kids books. And they say, how do you get started as an actor? And I don't have a good answer because I got like
0: blessed, you know? Yeah. Um, And being out here probably helped too.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just I had everything on my side. Yeah. Uh, But about like a week later, my parents sat me down and said, we've been talking to Paramount Pictures. And if you want to be an actor, um, they're (laughs) – they're they're ready to help you out, um, and so that was my junior year and
0: senior year. I started. Crazy. And Harvard Westlake is a really hard school. Yeah, it's, I mean it's academically intense. So it's funny that you just went from there right into acting.
1: Yeah, though, it's <laughs> you like could they, the
0: high school experience could have been easier.
1: Yeah, they post the matriculation for everyone to see, like with names. Yeah, like, this person's going to this school. This person's going to this school. And I remember I had decided. What I thought was, like, pretty cool, I'm going to go do movies, not even try to be an actor. I was going to do an actual movie, and on the matriculation, the head of the newspaper put Jason Segel, School of Hard Knocks. <laughs>
0: like, there's just, like, no no respect for oh anything but academic rigor. Yeah. That's hilarious. I went to a prep school that did the exact same thing. Oh, you did? Where it's, like, the co- when they trot out the colleges, it's yeah, it's, like, a big thing, and then— they put it in the magazine for the school. Yeah, and it's on the last page. All that. Stuff. And
1: God bless them. Like the kids turn out amazing and yeah. go really far in life. I, I always felt a little. Again, this this theme of feeling like invited by mistake has sort of run through my whole life and been very useful to me. Yeah, honestly, you know, like that's the that's the tone of freaks and geeks, and that's the tone of all the comedy I've written. Is a little like, I don't I don't think I'm quite supposed to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What was the movie you got? that you yeah. ended up not going to college for. Do you even remember? Yeah, well. Uh, or did it get you, made? Yeah,
1: there were three before I got Freaks and Geeks. One was called Dead Man on Campus. I was still a junior. It was about uh, people's first year in a college freshman dorm.
0: I'm positive I saw that, but I can't remember one uh, thing from it. That sounds about right. There's a <laughs> yeah. lot of movies in the late 90s, yes. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I remember my my character's
1: big trait was that he masturbated a lot. Oh, there <laughs> yeah, you go. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, it took a lot of prep, and then, um, <laughs> <laughs> and then the next one was called "Can't Hardly Wait." Yeah, yeah, which was a lot of. So a, that one's enduring.
0: Uh, a little bit, I guess. So, yeah, we we do this podcast called the Rewatchables, and that's been on the oh. list for a while. Yeah, and that one I'm watermelon guy. Yeah that that one. You know, there was this whole high school movie boom. Yeah. Basically from 97 to 03, and that was one of the OG high school movies. Yeah. And it's got a lot of people in it. A lot of the people went on to be, yeah, you know, whoever.
1: Yeah. It was a cool time. It was uh, That period in movies, too. I mean, movies have really changed what you can get made, but you know, you could make these kind of mid-level comedies. Um, they're not made so much anymore. Well, you know where they're made Netflix. Yeah, no, exactly. I can't hardly to wait in
0: 2020. I'm amazed they haven't just rebooted it. I know like, we're back. Yeah, totally. Um, and then the third one, which was at what I view as like my first
1: real acting professionally, it was called SLC punk. And it was this movie about, yeah, yeah punk music in Salt Lake city in uh, in the eighties. Um, and it was cool, and I lied on my uh, paperwork because this is pre digital age. I I was seventeen, but I I like got a fake ID and said I was eighteen, so I could work. And yeah. it all felt really, it felt cool.
0: Oh, I thought you were gonna say you lied that you knew how to like do skateboarding <laughs> stuff and things like that.
1: No, no, I uh, I lied about my age
0: and like because people kind of do stuff. that with sports movies all the time. Like, you, yeah, I'm great at basketball, and then yes. they show up and they like can't dribble.
1: We just had that on my TV show without mentioning any names. So as a character it was very important that he be able to roller skate. And this guy said expert roller skater. Right. (laughs) And then he showed up. Could not. Definitely couldn't roller skate.
0: How have you not done or have you done a basketball movie that I didn't remember watching? Have
1: you done it? I did one basketball movie. It was a mock documentary before mock documentaries were really a thing. Like a little pre-Christopher Guest. Um called The New Jersey Turnpikes, and it was about the ABA, and uh, it never got released.
0: Oh, I was going to say, I don't know how I missed that one. Yes, it got swallowed up. New Jersey Turnpikes? The New Jersey Turnpikes, yeah. So you could have, if they ever brought back The White Shadow. Oh, fully. You easily could have been Ken <laughs> yes, Reeves. Yes, fully. Could have pretended you had, like, the knee injury on the bulls and yeah. now you're moving back home to, all right, we'll put that. Put that in the pile over there, just in case. Yeah, I played a little bit of, um, like,
1: one scene in this movie called Jeff Who Lives at Home. And I hadn't played in a really long time. And I was not good. Really? Yeah, I, was, I was not good at all. There was one—it happened in Freaks and Geeks, too, where I was just supposed to hit a jumper. It was kind of an integral part of the scene, like, Nick got it, got his— stuff together are we allowed to swear on this oh we fuck yeah okay yeah nick Andopoulos got his shit together and all i had to do in the scene is just like hit a jumper at the end and it took us like four or five
0: hours (laughs) for it um the freaks and geeks thing which has become mythologized over the years and turned into its own every anniversary and it's always like uh is you right what was that show two years
1: no. One was, year? Yeah. It was it was eighteen. One
0: episodes, and a half?
1: Thirteen episodes or eighteen episodes. That was like it? That. Yeah. We we knew that we were going downhill because there was a there's a craft service area, you know, where yeah. there's food um to eat during the day. And when it started out, everyone was so excited and there was like this it was filled with meats and cheeses and, you know, like yeah. all this delicious food. And then by the end, it slowly got whittled down to like a box of corn pops and some creamer. Oh my like, God. oh, this isn't going well. And uh, yeah, so they did something really smart on Freaks and Geeks. I don't know how many people know this, but we had the sense we were getting canceled. All the signs were pointing towards it. Uh, and sometimes on TV, they'll just pull the plug. Like, you're not coming back next week. Yeah. And so we shot the finale halfway through the season and just held it so that when they
0: canceled us, there was an end to the show. That's kind of morbid, but really smart. Yeah. Yeah. That, that you can see the Grim Reaper coming, but you actually, everyone was smart enough to plan for it creatively. It was most of our first
1: real big thing. And yeah. so we had the naivety of youth thinking like, well, even if this gets canceled, we'll go on to the next groundbreaking show. You know, we had no idea that it then gets hard and how, how special
0: and unique that little capsule was. It's a weird time like, that basically mid-90s all the way through when Friday Night Lights was on. Yeah. Where you could have these shows that were just super beloved, but you still had to hit this ratings threshold. And then once once we hit the last decade, the 2010s, all that mattered was that your show was loved. Like, they didn't measure it that same way anymore. But, yeah, like, The Freaks and Geeks was right in the middle of that where you had to deliver a certain audience as well. I think. Or they didn't stick with it.
1: Yeah. And I think that also entertainment for a long time was, was very much about wish fulfillment and feel good, feel good TV and all that. And freaks and geeks was, was the tone of most people's high school. It was melancholy and uncomfortable. Yeah. And I just remember at one point um, they told NBC told Judd that like, this doesn't feel like what high school feels like. And we realized that there was just a disconnect between
0: whoever was giving that note and the rest of us. But that was basically my so-called life five years before that, too. Same thing. Yeah. Eh, This is... And it's like, no, this is actually what high school like. It's sad and it's depressing and it's weird. And- yeah.
1: They told Judd that they needed more victories. Like, next episode, we need more victories. So Judd wrote this thing, which I don't know if it's, a, <laughs> if it's a fuck you or not or if it is like our version of a victory, but Martin Starr is like terrible at baseball on this team. And then at one point he catches this fly ball and it's filmed and scored as like super triumphant. He catches it and goes crazy and his friends go crazy. But then you find out it's just like the first out of the third inning right, right. <laughs> you know it's a catch of no consequence except to him that's that's realism to me
0: did you feel like with the with everybody on that show that everybody was heading places or did you just feel like this is another job and I hope we all get to still work after this because when you look back at the some of the talent on that show and you go oh my god
1: yeah, I think that the first thing is e- much easier to say in retrospect. I don't know if you can actually feel that way when you're doing it. Yeah. Um. But I do think one of the things I learned, we all learned from Judd during that, is that everything is in the casting. Like They did an international search for geeky, freaky kids. Yeah. So that nobody was faking it. Everyone was some version of the character that they were playing. And then I think the other thing about that show is – it was most of our apprenticeship. So it is the cause, I think, of a lot of people going on to be great. Yeah. we I, I mean, I learned so much just from working with Judd for, you know, all those years.
0: It seems like Dazed and Confused was a little like that, too, yeah. where they, Linklater put so much time and effort and energy into who was going to be who in the movie. Yeah. And it just happened that he had great taste and a lot of the guys, you know, McConaughey and Affleck and people like that. But yeah. everybody's kind of perfect.
1: I think another similarity between those two things and Judd's whole ethos is it's like how honest are you willing to be on screen mm. even amongst set comedy pieces or, you know, like absurdity? What's the, the most honest version of it? And like push for that. I think that that is what sort of has made a lot of us endure is how honest are you willing to be on screen? That seems to be the, the big test.
0: Yeah, I, w- I would say that's a dominant theme in his movies, right? Yeah, it's somebody who has faults, but you like them anyway. Yeah, or somebody who kind of knows they're fucked up, but they're trying to get through it as it is. And
1: yeah, like what does it really look like if you're a forty-year-old virgin? What does it really look like if you get someone pregnant unintentionally? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. I wonder how many more, how many more of those he can pull off, though. I guess there's a lot of fucked up people out there. Yeah, and I, I mean I, I think <laughs> I know that, he's doing something with Pete Davidson now that's yeah loosely based on probably some of Pete's picadillos.
1: I'm sure, yeah. And I think that too, as the creator of stuff, as long as you're doing constant check-ins, you'll you'll keep finding stuff to explore.
0: What do, what do you think your big break was? Do you think it was that or was it something later? I think it was Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, uh, it, Freaks and Geeks was my big break in that I learned everything I was going to learn. And then my later relationship with Judd is how I got any of those movies made. Yeah. At one point – so I personally think – I've never talked about this with Judd. But I think when Freaks and Geeks got canceled early and a similar thing happened with Undeclared, there was a mentality of Judd, like Count of Monte Cristo, I am going to prove – Everyone wrong by making each one of these people stars systematically, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, like watch this, right? I will prove to you that you were wrong. And so, um, after knocked up, uh, Judd and I went to a Laker game, and and he had, he had instilled in us right, right, right. You know, um, and we were at this Laker game, and he said, "Okay, I think it's I think it's your turn now. Do you have a script?" And I said, "Yeah." I have this thing I've been working on, and I pitched him really loosely at a Laker game um, for getting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. Like two days later, he said, All right, let's make it. It was, again, it was not dissimilar to my high school situation where I think there was a lot of working hard involved, but I also got really, really lucky. And uh, so I think that relationship was sort of my big break. And then, weirdly, simultaneously, I got How I Met Your Mother. And yeah. So I had this parallel. I had this thing on TV, which is very mainstream. And then I had these movies, which were a little more subversive, but still mainstream, going side by side. It was cool.
0: That whole era of comedy, which we've talked about a lot on different podcasts here, but that yeah. basically that 04 through kind of cresting with the hangover, which wasn't yes. just, but six years where we kind of redefined. I guess it maybe started with old school, but then. Maybe so, maybe it's seven years, but these R rated comedies taking it to the next level. Yeah. And really good actors, really well written, just everything. Now I look back at that generation really fondly. Yeah. It's a fun
1: run. Comedy, unlike drama, which is consistent themes back to the beginning of time. Yeah. Comedy really goes in these cyclical phases, right? And so, right before that era is the era of the like high concept character like the Ace Ventura's. Yes. You know, and then that gave way to this other era of comedy which was people hanging out. Be that felt like your friends. Yeah. Like, oh, that I see myself in that group. Um and then I think that sort of gave way to people wanting more of a plot, but for a
0: little while there it was different iterations of dudes hanging out. Um which, You know, and uh, it was it was the internet was around, but it was still fairly early internet yeah. and Definitely before Twitter. Yeah. And the thing I used to love about movies like that is when the characters, when they're hanging out and they'd be talking about something that, like, my friends and I had talked about. And I was like, oh, it yeah. wasn't just us. Yes. These guys, you see, they did that in the movie. We were talking about that. And yeah. there's a lot of, like, identifying that you would do through these stupid scenes that you would then watch a hundred times on Blu-ray or yeah. all it, that stuff. Yeah. It was a neat era. It, it, I look back on it fondly, too. It was cool. It's and there were so many good comedies. I'm not just saying this because you're here, but I thought I love you, man was really good. Thanks. And it's just like kind of, there's movies like that, that just got lost because there were so many big, I mean, I don't remember if it did well, if it did mediocre or whatever, but it did well, well enough. Yeah. But I think if that movie comes out, you know, at a different time when people, you know, comedies every four or five, six months, you need one. Yeah.
1: My my big wish is that Rudd and I do a sequel to I Love You, Man, when we're
0: like 70. <laughs> Kyle, would you see that? <laughs> no doubt. Kyle liked that movie. Oh, that yeah, movie was really good, but it, it was, was cool. like, it was at the tail end of yeah. 20 good comedies in the span of seven years or whatever, and some of them just got lost a little.
1: Well, I think there's only so many, that's like you said, there's only so many of those conversations you can have before they've been had. Yeah. Right?
0: That seemed like that was a fun movie to do. That was, my guess fun. was like, there was like a lot of ad-libbing and yes. all kinds of shit.
1: All those movies. There's a script that is worked hard on. You know, it's not, it's not just like a loose blueprint. It's, we all work really hard on them. But then there's this idea that you can't write anything as funny as the actor, if you cast right, like knows themselves and knows
0: their yeah. moves
1: better than anyone. And so then you, then you let everyone do their thing. And that
0: was basically Apatow and Adam McKay. Those were big things for both of those guys. He's yeah. put funny people yeah. in a situation with the script, but then also let them kind of do their thing. And they both talked about that on this podcast. Like, yeah. yeah, this is the biggest advantage we have. If we have the right funny people and we trust them, more funny stuff will come out that none of us could have ever thought of. Yeah, the other cool
1: thing that happens is I think Rudd and I did five movies together or something like that. <laughs> right. so, yeah, so by the time you're getting towards – you know, three, four, five, you really know how to. It's like, it's like sports. Yeah. You know what I mean? You really know each other's strengths and can set each other up really well and all that.
0: Was there a movie during that stretch where you were like, fuck, man, I'm right here. How am I not in yeah. this?
1: Well, sure. Although I was, I mean, it, the hangover, I think all of us were like, oh, man, <laughs> that, was, <Right. laughs> that was a special one. But I was super busy during that time because. Because you're into the CBS I show. I was doing the yeah. show. And so and I was also writing some of those movies and so during the year I'd be doing the TV show writing a movie and then shooting it over the break so I didn't have too much like f- like regret about missing out on stuff I was actually kind of the opposite I was feeling pretty tired
0: yeah that makes sense yeah so that when how i met your mother starts yeah. and everyone's just comparing it to friends right away yes so were we and it was after friends was just gone, right? We were like the next year. We were clearly just right into the And everybody's like, this. hey, can I have some friends? Is yeah. there anybody? Oh, these guys. Yeah. But it was a good show. And yeah. it, and I think it kind of held up at least people's expectations for if there's gonna be another show. What does that look like? And yeah. now I think generation generationally it it has become its own thing. I mean, hasn't yeah. it hasn't had that weird Netflix kind of hulu bounce back that i think has kept friends alive for people like my daughter yes but i think it will though at some point
1: yeah i think it went on netflix and a whole other generation of people who now call me sir oh really (laughs) yeah are watching it yeah that's been the weirdest thing about getting older yeah people who i i am sure i look at them and i think they're my contemporaries (laughs) say like have a good day sir (laughs) that's
0: freaking you're like you're 18 how do you know that joke yeah so you think that show has the legs now because i have something I have no feel for this stuff unless my daughter tells me she got into a show I don't follow too much either, but i I think it's like back on people in colleges
1: are watching it. It's on syndication everywhere like if you go to the gym it's on the t v right that's why I don't go to the gym
0: it's it's from that <laughs> that last era of uh if you could have a if you could have a comedy and it and it's on for five seasons. Yeah. And then it just prints money from that point on. Everybody yeah. tries to get to the 100 episodes. I don't know how it works now. I think I, you just get paid more right away now. I think, yeah,
1: I think we, we, we just missed the era you're talking about. But oh, we, think we all late did really, to it? really well. We were a little late to it. I remember recently somewhere Seinfeld was, it might have been the SNL anniversary, but he called out to Larry David saying like, hey, we got the last two, di- two tickets to Disneyland before it closed. I think right, that right. era was the big the Seinfeld Friends era. The, how big
0: was that show, like in its at its peak? How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, I think it was really, really popular. Big was Bang it like there the, Was it kind of the number? Oh, Was Big Bang Theory bigger? More, yeah, yeah, much bigger. Yeah,
1: I but you were much, still in the bigger. conversation,
0: though. So yeah. you were like, you're like the Rockets. You're a contender, but I think that's about that's a great analogy. Absolutely. <laughs> no rings, but you were you were, made the conference finals a couple of times.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Neil Patrick Harris was like James Harden. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, look at all those crazy moves. What it, what was what was the end for your character on that show? Uh, I became a judge. Okay, I can't remember if it was a Supreme Court judge, but I, I became <laughs> Supreme a, Court, yeah, a, yeah,
0: like appointed
1: by Trump. Yeah, yeah,
0: no, I became like a big judge, man. Yeah. Ah, well, congratulations thanks, on yeah, that. Yeah, thanks. So maybe that comes back when you're ten years from now. Yeah, judge, 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 so, sir, <laughs> judges. He's, he's the only man we can trust on this Supreme Court. Yeah.
1: He's judged I, he's her. Judged.
0: He's back. So you did the David Foster Wallace movie.
1: Yeah, end of the tour.
0: And I obviously, like many writers, super fascinated by him and blatantly, unapologetically stole his footnotes gimmick for yeah. both of my books. Um, didn't do it as well as he did it, yeah. but... I was so fascinated by him, and he wrote, I think, a couple of the best nonfiction pieces of the last 50 years. Just the yeah. tennis piece that he wrote, a couple other things. A
1: supposedly fun thing you'll never do again, a yeah, yeah, cruise ship yeah. essay is, oh my God. is amazing.
0: The footnotes
1: thing to me, because uh, I obviously had to read Infinite Jest for the movie, he is a complicated guy, as we all know. And yeah. I think the footnotes thing was, it was like a uh, barrier to entry for him. It was like a test. Yeah. How hard are you willing to work to finish this book? And there's there's this experience when you read it with a physical book, which I think you have to, of, you know, you'll be on page 30 of this thousand plus page book. So you're physically, you're like at the beginning of the book and then you'll reach an end note and you have to flip to the back and then you'll read this punishing 70 page (laughs) end note on tennis. Right. And you'll get to the end of it and you'll feel some sense of accomplishment because now physically you're at the end of the book. But then foof, you have to go back to page 30. And it, it's demoralizing in a way. And I, I personally think that it was intentional. It was this really complicated guy saying, like, how hard are you willing to work to know me? That's
0: definitely that book specifically. Yes. Yeah, well, it, it, it's like eight hundred and something pages.
1: It's crazy. I, I think it's over a thousand once you add the footnotes. Right. in. That was an experience too, where I was in full fake it till you make it mode. What would a real actor do? Yeah. Uh, in prep, I, I um had no experience doing anything like that. I didn't know if I'd be good enough. I had this, I had this knowledge from doing comedy that if I get this wrong, this is going to look like a Saturday Night Live sketch. I have the glasses on and the bandana on and I'm trying to do his voice. Like the the chance of this being hugely embarrassing is like, really high. Um, but I thought to myself during that period, like How I Met Your Mother had just ended. I was 34. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and career. And I thought, are you going to find out if you can do this stuff or are you going to be the guy who sits resentfully at a dinner party for the rest of his life and is like, well, if I had done the revenant, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, you know, I just, I, I have too many examples of that guy.
0: And I, we well, just have the entire internet. Cause that's, yeah, that yeah, yeah, that.
1: exactly. And I'm like, you, you, you say and believe that you're good at this and you've devoted your life to it. Let's let's find out like go high degree of difficulty.
0: What was the family and friends' reaction from his end as you dove into this? Were they even happy there was a movie being made? I, I don't think
1: so. I don't want yeah. to speak for them, but I, I, I don't think so. And I think that there was f- and fairly some skepticism that I was going to play David Foster Wallace. Yeah. Because there, no, there was no model for that I could come anywhere close to being good enough. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was really healthy for me to feel like
0: you really can't fuck this up. You know, well, you didn't, You it, it turned out well for you. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it was a very well-received movie. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, it's weird. Cause you, I think this happens sometimes with writers that you really like, you almost don't want to know anything about them other than the stuff you're reading. And I think that's become impossible the last 30 years, especially now that we have social media and things like that. You're always going to have insight on the person too. Yeah. I think what was interesting about him. His stuff was so personal, but I also didn't really know that much about him. And the only clues you could really find were in his actual work. Yes. So it was one of those things, especially after he died, where you're just like, man. And you go on this deep dive and you read all these different things about him and people knew him. And you still didn't really have a feel for him.
1: I think it's why the movie, that particular movie is really interesting in that it is, it's a real three or four days that he spent with this Rolling Stone writer where it was all being recorded by the Rolling Stone writer, David Lipsky. So we had the full recordings and it was the closest you can get to seeing what someone like that is like at rest. Yeah. And it took like a day for him to get there because he's, he's on guard for the first, you know, period. Um, But he says this thing, he says this thing in there that really stuck with me that I think about a lot. Uh, he says to David Lipsky, it's not in the movie. It's just on these recordings. Um, we all have this other voice. It's the voice that either tells us we're doing fine or that we're a piece of shit. Yeah. And I've realized that my job is to make friends with that voice. I think about it all the time. It's like, a good one. Yeah. Yeah. This this constant war we're in in our heads. Like that's That's going to be the most intimate relationship we have our whole lives, isn't it? But he
0: ultimately, I mean, he couldn't navigate that war. It was one of the reasons he had so many issues. It was like he was so far in his own head.
1: Yeah. Well, um, there's a great commencement speech he gave called This is Water. And you
0: watch it, and
1: I think that what makes it so accessible and profound is that it is someone talking to you on your level about some really important ideas because you know – that they're struggling with these same things. They're not talking at you. It's not, a, it's not an enlightened philosopher telling you this thing that always feels unattainable to me. It's somebody who I know is right where I am at times of, man, this shit is more complicated than I thought. I did all of the things everyone told me I was supposed to do. And I still feel really confused or scared or this impending sense of doom. So what do I do now? Right, you know, because it seems like checking things off this American list isn't gonna isn't gonna get me there.
0: Yeah, yeah. We did a rewatchable about forgetting Sarah Marshall last oh, year. Cool. And did a I did a. We have this whole we have categories and did a whole bunch of research on it and yeah. all that stuff. So I knew some of the uh, how Appetite was just basically like, yeah, man, go, yeah, go write this now. But I think what's what's really cool about that movie. All these years later, is how fucking rewatchable it is, and that's why yeah. we did a pod about it, cool. where you can kind of, you can kind of dive in at any point of the movie. Yeah. If he's in Hawaii, it's like, oh, this part. Oh, yeah, all right, I'll stick in for fifteen minutes, and then Rudd comes in, and it's like, oh, Rudd's here. All yeah. Right. And then you're kind of sucked in for an hour.
1: Yeah. That was a special one for me too, because I, uh, I was really unsavvy. Mm. And so I wasn't writing from any place of strategy, you know? I was just writing what I thought was good and what I thought was funny. The movie ends with a lavish Dracula puppet musical. Right. You know, it's interesting because when I talk about Dispatches, I'm not trying to segue, but there was a part of me when I started to write that where I thought to myself, man, at 35, which is when I started to write the show, "Uh, you don't have the balls to be the guy who wrote the Dracula puppet musical. Right. Like something along that decade became too conscious of trying to uh, have stuff be popular or successful or any of that. And it was really helpful for me to think about both the full frontal nudity in Forgetting Sarah Marshall and the Dracula puppet musical where I was like, just do what you think is really interesting and funny and would make you laugh and like what you
0: like, you know? Yeah. I watched it with my daughter. Oh, no. No, no, no. But no, no, hold on. <laughs> Knowing the two scenes, I'm really good with the... I really want my kids to be funny and have sense of humor. Yeah. And I want to watch... And I don't want to watch like the watered down yeah. TBS version. Yeah. So I'll know what scenes. So it's like, oh, here's a scene where he's going to be naked. I'm just going to fast forward this. She'll you know, I'm like, look away, fast forward, go to the next scene. Yeah. And then there's a scene where they're both having sex in different rooms. Oh, I'm yeah. like, all right, we're fast forwarding over this, but... So it's like you don't need to know what happens here, but there's some sex. It's yeah. like great. And then I forgot you got naked again at the yeah, end. Yeah, I get you at so the end. So we're just too. watching it all of a sudden. I was like, <laughs> oh no. And she's like, dad. It was Sorry. fine. It was yeah. fine. We worked it out. But yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. but no, it's I mean, for the most part, it's only a couple scenes. But what I learned is uh just do the Comedy Central version. <laughs> yeah, the movies. airplane yeah. version. Yeah. Do the yeah, yeah. They, they're much better at cutting that out. Did you know what you had with Mila Kunis in that movie? Cuz she at that point she's just a TV actress. Yeah. She hadn't sh- shown that she's somebody who could lead a movie and then she like jumped off the screen in that
1: thing. Yeah. Um well, we did we did improv auditions with everybody. Oh. Yeah. Um and And nobody was nobody was famous enough at that point to not do the auditions, which was really helpful actually, because we could see what the chemistry was, yeah, a lot of times if somebody's already successful they they're like an offer only, and so that's when much more faith is involved but we we improved these scenes, and she was just she was just so no bullshit, yeah, in a way that was perfect for that character. Kristen Bell was perfect for her character. And then the big surprise was Russell Brand because yeah. that part was written to be a uh, like an uptight British author, like yeah. a Hugh Grant type oh. that I was really like really straight laced and buttoned up, but just way better than me, you know. And uh, and so people were coming in and they were doing these fake British accents and trying to be real posh and all this. And Russell came in, I'll never forget, in his full Russell regalia and sort of sat down and he said, um, you'll have to forgive me, mate. I've only had a chance to take a cursory glance of your little script. Perhaps you should tell me what it is you require. And I was like, oh, it's this guy. Yeah. And this changes everything. This has to be the guy. Yeah. And so this is goes back to the lessons of Judd. So then you rewrite. Yeah. You, know, you don't try to change Russell Brand into something else. You write towards him. So we rewrote the whole script, Nick Stoller and I, for um for Russell. And I, I honestly think that's why the movie's successful. That that character is what makes the whole thing elevate.
0: And then the the fake NBC procedural yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like <laughs> you could have made like 20 of those. Yeah, I think we made a couple more, but we there's some on like the Blu ray or something. It's my right? favorite thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who has that idea? And then you're that you probably becomes obsessed with that, right? Oh, God. We gotta Oh, I thought yeah. of another one.
1: I wrote a rough one. I think I wrote crime scene scene of the crime. And I think Nick Stoller, <laughs> I think Nick Stoller wrote <laughs> pet detective or whichever mm-hmm. that one that was. Um, where pet psychic or whatever. Uh, but it was really fun to think about those. Those are easy. Procedurals are really fun to make fun of. I,
0: there could have been 20 of those. Yeah, Nick Stoller's done a lot of stuff since. Yeah. 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 He's did great. you catch
1: him early with that? We worked together on undeclared. Yeah. He was a writer on undeclared. He read, uh, so we all read each other's scripts back in that, back in that time and give each other notes. And yeah, we do these big table reads where all of the, this little community we had would come and Give notes. So Nick liked the script and said, "Hey, I, I think I, I know how to direct this." And so that was a match made in heaven. I had never starred in a movie or written a movie. Nick had never directed. So like we were,
0: yeah, truly,
1: perfect. yeah, it was perfect in a way. You know, we didn't know we didn't know that it was hard.
0: Push you stumbled into the Adam Sandler formula of if you're going to film a comedy, go somewhere awesome. So smart. I feel like we tricked everyone. Yeah, I re- I'm that's not- Sandler. Every three movies, he's yeah. like, "I'm going somewhere I've always I wanted know. to go." I don't know if that's I caught him out on that in this podcast. You did. He's like, "Come on."
1: Yeah, he's like, probably pretty open about it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. To me, I say it's integral to the
0: plot. But <laughs> <laughs> listen, they have to be in Hawaii and specifically Kapalua. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, I mean, it, it was a dream come true, like you said.
1: I, I mean, I think that era of movies is sort of gone. I, I don't know that you can do do that kind of stuff anymore.
0: Yeah, people. When Todd Phillips is making the Joker, yeah, <laughs> movie. That's I think. I think we're in a weird place with comedy. Yeah. What happens when you're on a show like uh, How I Met Your Mother yeah. and it's successful Yeah. and you're making money yeah. and it's great yeah. and everyone says how, like, you show up for a sitcom. It's actually a great gig once it gets going. You're there yeah. set hours. You only have to perform one time a week. And at some point, some of the people, either with that or with the drama, they're just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And they'll try to get out, like, Fifth season, sixth season, maybe like in the case of like Sherry Stringfield on ER, she tried to get it after three seasons. She's like, right. I don't want to do this anymore. This sucks. Yeah, what happens to people mentally with that? Where they just, are is it like you don't get challenged by it, or yeah. what's going on?
1: Yeah, well, I I had it right in front of me actually. Like, it wasn't hypothetical. So I was doing these movies over the break and doing the TV show during the year and there was definitely a huge part of me that was thinking, oh, I could just be doing these movies. And
0: and it's just more interesting or it's I, more money th- or both?
1: Um, the money, no, it's not the money because the money on the show is really nice also. Yeah. I think it's more the, um, for me at the time, my, my perspective has really changed with some distance from it. Yeah, but At the time, you're 26, 27 years old, you're a kid. I felt like... I was working with the cool kids in the movies yeah. and that the TV show was very mainstream and uh, that there was something cooler about doing the movies. Yeah. It's only with some distance that I look back as like a grown man and think, oh, you you hit the lottery. Both, both financially but then also like those were the nicest people in yeah. the world. Um, it was like a really loving environment. We took care of each other. It felt uh, it felt really special. At the time, I had a little bit of a hard time seeing it because I thought, like, oh, what what I could be if I
0: if I had total freedom. Because they had to like talk you into going to the, into the last season, right? Yeah, you're pretty much out.
1: Uh, no, no, no. Well, I went to go do a couple movies on the last season, and so my schedule became really difficult. But they accommodated me. They were very very kind. But, yeah, I think by, you know, by the time you get to nine years, that was longer than I'd spent with anybody. Right. Except my family. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's like twice the length it's of the like school I attended. Yeah, it was a really long time. They're like, hey, what if we make you a judge? <laughs> <laughs> you get to wear a robe. <laughs> you can decide a case. I didn't. I never saw it until now. That's exactly what yeah, they. Like, <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be a man of esteem. Yeah, I'm like I want to be taken seriously <laughs> as an actor. No problem, Judge <laughs> Judge Sir. <laughs> yeah. You seen a show called Judging Amy? It's really special. Yeah.
1: No, I, and you know the other another thing about ten years at that point because it ends up being around ten years. That was 24 when I started. Yeah. And 34 when I finished, and so I was like a. It was like a, suddenly a man. I was right. a, a whole different person, and you know the the premise of trying to find the girl of your dreams is really interesting at twenty four. And I think by the time you reach thirty four, I, I had some life experience and wanted to make art about different stuff.
0: And your family was in LA this entire time. Yeah, yeah. so you're just. Working in l a as a super successful actor, and then you could be like, "Hey, I'm coming over tonight, Dad, to yeah, coming over for chicken Tonight. night you know what? I didn't do it
1: enough as I wish I had. I do it a lot more now, yeah, yeah, um, and my brother was in Boston, yeah ah. yeah, my brother uh was, uh was my whole family's Boston, we have a clothing store out there called Mr. Sids in Newton, really yeah. Newton, yeah, wow, yeah, so uh, shout out to Mr. Sids uh that's like three generations of seagulls there's like I don't know, some huge number what of are, my relatives. Mr. Sid's
0: there. isn't tuxedos, is
1: it? It used to be tuxedos. Oh,
0: yeah. I, I feel like I've rented for Mr. Sid's. Yes, yes. When I was living
1: there. Wow. Yes, they've now expanded into all wow. sorts of all leisure kinds wear. all of leisure wear. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, you were big in the tabloids back then. What was true and not true? What was it like reading about your stuff? And people saying this, that, the other thing. He's oh. dating this. He's going through whatever.
1: Oh, uh, I never look at any of it. Did people in your life go, hey, man, what's going on here? Not in relation to tabloids. Yeah. Just in relation to being my friends or my intimates. (laughs) You know (laughs) know what I mean? Well, you're a
0: single guy in L.A. You must have been thrown. That was the height of the Us Weekly era.
1: Yeah, it was a really weird time. I feel like that all calmed down a little bit when when the iPhone was invented because people were sharing their own pictures and their own Instagram and their own Twitter and all that.
0: Um, yeah, I think social media killed Robertson Boulevard. That's one of my weird theories. Yeah. Remember Robertson Boulevard was such a thing and the celebrities would walk down and it would be like Paris Hilton was oh, outside yeah. the Ivy today. Yeah, There's a picture. Now it's like I, Paris Hilton could just take a selfie and there she is. Well, it would also
1: just be a living your life. Like you'd get photographed uh, coming out of like a grocery store. Right. <laughs> and the thing about being when someone jumps out and takes a picture of you is you feel like you've been caught? Yeah. Like you've done <laughs> you know? something wrong. Yeah. And so there's like a, an hour where you're like, is, is what just happened okay? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, you're, you're everything's fine.
0: I was, Affleck was always holding a Starbucks coffee coming out of some Palisade Starbucks. Yeah. And it was, I was like, Ben Affleck. He's just like us. He gets coffee. I'm like, really? It's like kind of hard to believe that worked as a model, as a magazine just for like ten us. years. Yeah, yeah. My look at that fuck. He's getting his garbage. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. My life's very calm now, and it is much more like Jason Siegel in another plaid shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's not not He's, much to report. Jason on. Siegel getting a green tea. Yeah, is that Buck Mason? What you're wearing? It is
0: Buck yeah, Mason. I'm wearing yeah, yeah, there you go. A lot of oh, Buck I'll Mason be, myself. Yeah. Yeah. Buck Mason. Shout out to him. Men so, of a certain age. Tell the AMC what's going on with the show. And how how uh, how many episodes is it? Yeah. What are we supposed to look for? Is it on demand? It's not on demand yet. I looked for it last night.
1: No, it's no no no. It hasn't come out yet. It starts March first, right? After Walking. I thought Dead. they would put the
0: put the first one on demand, but no. God forbid.
1: I think they do actually after it airs. Okay. I think it
0: airs and then you can get it. I'm, right. I'm not sure. So give us the one minute explanation of the show.
1: Sure. Uh, what happened to me in real life was I couldn't figure out what to write about. Yeah. Uh, and I spent a long time trying to figure out what I wanted to write about. And then one day I was I was walking down a street and I saw a flyer on a lamppost that said uh, dolphin communications testing. And I'm interested in stuff. I had a hunch that it led somewhere, but there was nothing pointing you towards it. Yeah. So I called the number and it turned out to be part of this very weird social experiment that was happening in San Francisco at the time. Really? Yes. Uh, and... Basically, I went through this induction, uh, and by the time I was done doing this strange experiment, I knew what I wanted to write about. So it's about uh, four people, myself, Sally Field, Andre Benjamin, and Eve Lindley, four different people, yes, in four states of existential crisis who participate in this really unique game experiment and are trying to find the thing that is missing in their lives.
0: Is this a show that could go on for nine seasons, or is it like a short? This is uh, show? ten episodes. And that's it. Yeah. Did you tell Sally Field how incredible she was in *Smoking the Bandit*? I told Sally Field how incredible she was every chance I got. She doesn't get because she's won Oscars and stuff. Yeah. So the smoking the bandit type roles have slipped through the cracks. Yeah. But her and Bert, all time. Yeah, they're the best. They all time. That movie is just him driving around in a fucking car with a truck behind him. There's no plot. Yeah.
1: And Good it's just like, hate,
0: like five minute scenes of him and Sally Field just flirting with each other. It's like, this is great. Yeah. Like, this movie never gets made now. She's a badass. Like she really it, is. It's
1: very easy to think of Sally Field as like sweet Sally Field, but she is a, she is a badass woman. We're like
0: Forrest Gump's mom.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, is she in Steel Magnolias? She's
0: been in, I mean, she's had an amazing career.
1: Yeah. So in addition to that persona, she's also just, she's um, really amazing. When um, I was growing
0: up, it was her and Meryl Streep. Maybe Sissy Spacek, I can't remember. But there was like, uh, there was only a couple of kind of monster actresses that you're like, oh, if there's a really important part, it will be one of these people that yeah. get it.
1: Sissy Spacek took a big break, but she, she or, did. Yeah. Sissy Spacek in Badlands is like, perhaps yeah, my favorite performance. And those were kind of the, the three.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So the white shadow. Yeah. We'll figure that out later. Judge along with Judge, Judge sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those two. Yeah. And then your show starts March 1st. It starts March 1st.
1: It's two night premiere. So we have the first episode on Sunday night after walking dead, second episode after better call Saul. And then, uh, and then it's, it's once weekly after better, better call Saul. But the show itself is an adventure that mirrors what, uh, I went through the real experiment. So it's, uh, as much as you want to be involved in the show, we let you
0: participate. Oh, good. It yeah. sounds really interesting. It's cool, man. Funniest person you've ever been on a set with? Oh, wow. I think that Jonah Hill
1: has the most encyclopedic knowledge of, like, references. Perfect yeah. references for any joke occasion. Yeah, Interesting. It, like, as fast as fast as anyone I've been around.
0: Best actor you've ever worked with?
1: Oh, I've worked with a bunch of really amazing ones. But I, I,
0: got lucky. Anybody that made you feel incompetent or insecure about your own acting because they were so ridiculous? I was, I was in awe of working with Robert Redford.
1: Oh, yes. What was that? Where was that? I did a movie called The Discovery, a Netflix movie, um, a few years ago, where Robert Redford played my dad, and there are some Jesus, yeah, it was really cool. I've worked with a lot of great actors, but there were some moments when Robert Redford would go what I can only describe as full Redford. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Where he turns to you. It's like the turn is perfect, and then the smile is perfect, and the conflicted look is perfect. And I'm
0: like, oh. Jesus. Right.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh, you're full Redford right now.
0: I've been watching a lot of 70s movies because I'm – I've just worn out the movies from the last 30 years. Yeah. I just have nowhere to go with any of them. Yeah. So I've been circling back, and I just watched him in The Candidate, which is a really relevant movie for right now just because we're in this whole election process. And the themes really aren't that different yeah. of how you basically try to blow up somebody's candidacy. And he is amazing in that.
1: Yeah. He's I been, think you
0: can release that movie right now and people would not be disappointed. He's also a guy who's
1: been doing it right for his entire career. Yeah. He also talked about getting in at the right time. He bought a mountain. <laughs> 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 yeah, like he owns a mountain next to Sundance.
0: <laughs> you know, you did well when you're buying mountains.
1: Yeah, I think they're all taken. Like, yeah, now. I didn't take that mountain
0: <laughs> Yeah. Uh, good luck with the show. This is fun. Thanks. thanks for being on.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. I had a blast.